Chuto di Parma and Parmigiano cheese are literally Tommaso's two favorite foods in the world. So for his first visit to the fabulous little city of Parma, it was his idea of paradiso. Welcome to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. My name's Kimberly Holcomb, and I am here with that famous Tommaso lover of all things ham. <laughs> you called me something prior to recording. I know. We can't say it on a clean rated podcast. <laughs> Hold on. Before we dive into all things Parma, I would like to make a correction. You know, like the newspapers do when they print a factual error. My mistake was pointed out by two people in two different countries. In episode three, way back when, which is on Milano, I was talking about how the Italians devised a way in World War II to protect Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, which is located inside the church Santa Maria delle Grazie. I mistakenly said that the church was bombed by the Germans, but these two listeners told me it was bombed by Allied forces instead. I thank them both for pointing out my error, but in the end, the sad part is it happened because of a world war. And we didn't have a fact-checking staff of 42 people but like we do now. <laughs> we have a whole fact-checking suite. Right. <laughs> also, I should thank these two listeners, actually, for making me go back and re-listen to that entire episode number three, because that's when I told that hysterical story about Pino and the Pistola. So in case you haven't listened to that, it was very funny. I laughed. But I also realized while listening to that episode that we have improved quite a bit in the last few years. I was, to be honest here, I was a little choppy in my delivery. Well, and it took me three and a half months during COVID to convince you that we should do this. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that. But <laughs> I also sounded a tad nervous still. So I think I've refined my cadence and my pitch. And Tomasa, you have improved as well. With our sound quality. Yes, this is this is tantamount to Jim Henson Studios here, yes. <laughs> so, that's a big grazie mille to all of you for sticking with us from the beginning. Yes, grazie mille, thank you. <laughs> allora, Parma. Parma was the last destination on our road trip this past October, and all I can say is two days was not enough. But, don't fear, Tommaso, we will definitely return. You want to see every church in Italy? I want to try every ham. <laughs> well, you went to the epicenter oh, of it. Oh, oh, <laughs> But let's just start with how we got there. We drove from Montepulciano to the Bologna airport where we dropped off Oleandra and Beppe so they could pick up their own rental car to carry on with the rest of their trip. They were going to Lago di Como and then on to Venezia. Originally, they were going to take a train from the Bologna train station but up came the possibility of a sciopero di treni. You remember those well, right? That, that's a strike. That would be a train strike. Yeah. So they decided to rent a car and carry on with their own road trip. Actually, this is a very good travel tip for all of you because Bologna's airport is only about 10 kilometers or six miles north of the city, and it's very easy to exit the autostrada from any direction you're coming from. Remember, Tommaso, how I used to describe 
after all my years of driving to New York City and back a specific exit for a specific gas station or bathroom for, or whatever. For specific, yes. Easy on, easy off. Yes, rest, <laughs> restroom. Yes, easy on, easy off. That is what the Bologna Airport is like. And the car rental area is right, it's basically connected to the airport like the Milano Malpensa Airport. So Oleandra and Beppe just rolled their luggage to the rental company office right next to the cars. And she said it was as easy as could be. And they lucked out. They were upgraded to a Volkswagen T-Cross. She took a picture of it and sent it to us while we were driving. I was like, oh, it looks like a Mercedes compared to our Tipo. <laughs> no offense to our trusty Fiat Tipo. Knowing the ease of this rental car option, I just wanted to share this with you because a lot of people fly in and out of Bologna from other European countries or within Italy itself. So if you have a destination somewhere in Emilia-Romagna or somewhere in Tuscany, you could so easily just fly into Bologna, walk straight from the gate to the car rental, just like Milano Malpensa. Yes. Well, also, it depends on where you're connecting because you're not going to have any direct flights from the United States to Bologna. But like we do, we fly into Copenhagen or Zurich, generally, and next time we can potentially do that. Exactly. Molto facile. Very easy. So Tommaso and I got back on the autostrada and headed for Parma. And for the first time in three weeks, it was raining. And it was raining hard. It was It was ugly. But I got out my phone and went to Google Maps and searched for the next auto grill and found out that it was only like 12 kilometers away. So you were psyched. Yes, it was the very large auto grill and there were a lot of people there. And But I still had a great panino, but there's a long line. And don't forget, people, when you go to an auto grill, you have to pay before you get your food. You don't pay after you have you- to. You have to go to the casa, the cash register, and pay for it. Then you take that paper ticket, very old school, take the paper receipt, go to the counter, give it to the person and say, I think you had a panino di prosciutto, of all things. And two more travel tips that I want to talk about. First of all, when you go to the auto grill, they come up on you fast. You see it before you see the exit. Correct. There's there's no sign. McDonald's in 19 miles. (laughs) You know, I mean, so they come up on you fast and you've got it, if you're going along at a clip, you've got to get right over because there's no long ramp to get off, right off. The second travel tip I want to say, something I've been thinking about recently, particularly the other day, when I was behind a woman in the left lane and she was going off 56 miles an hour on her phone. Mm. And the travel tip I'll have for you, which I just love, and I this is one of the the, the, the most wonderful things about driving in Italy. People get out of the left lane. It's they only like, use it to pass and they get right back over. It's muscle memory. You know, <laughs> there's no going along. You know, you're not sitting this guy in the left lane for five miles. People give you the flash. They're not going as fast as they do in Germany, but you get out of the left lane. Travel tip, you only use the left lane for passing. <laughs> we have discussed this before, you know. Oh. You just went on a tangent. All right. We're going to Italy again soon, and I just can't wait till people get out of the left lane. And guess what? I rented a different car. I didn't rent a Fiat. I'll I'll save it as a surprise for the first episode. Did you get the Porsche Cayenne? (laughs) 
No. No. <laughs> a Ferrari? What are you talking about? <laughs> All right. So back to Parma. We chose a hotel that was just a teeny bit outside of the Centro Storico simply because it had a parking garage and it was one less thing to deal with for two nights. And it was actually a very short walk into the Centro Storico. And we crossed the Fiume Parma, the Parma River, on a bridge called Ponte Verdi. And that walk led us directly into the Complesso Monumentale della Pilota. Sounds like a mouthful. It is a mouthful. But it's not really. It's a super easy translation. The monumental complex of the Pilota. And the Pilota is a museum and a library. It has a theater. It's a monumental complex. And it is fantastic. And from where we entered off that bridge, all of a sudden we were in this massive series of brick vaulted arches supported by the brick columns that each arch met the other. And it was so impressive. Well, the the engineering and without a laser sight to line all this stuff up. Also, these bricks were grayish. They weren't red like Bologna. Exactly. So something in the clay there that made the brick with or the mixture was very different in the soil than they were just beautiful in that they were gray. And again, going back to the lining up, when you see these multiple vaults and multiple angles coming into one another, you're wondering, how do they do that without a laser sight? You have said that in about 40 episodes now. <laughs> That's your hang up. <laughs> they just, were very good engineers and didn't need that I'm stuff. I'm marveling. Right. <laughs> well, this grayish, brownish stone all over was a lot to take in, but also at the same time, you were walking on those stones that were cut into squares. They look like they're cut by hand, but who knows? And they were a similar grayish brown color, but this flooring is the one that's laid in that half moon pattern. So subliminally, it mimicked the arches. So I was looking at all that, taking it all in, but it was a lot to take in. It was visually very busy the bricks are small and there's so many of them and then the same stones you're walking on it just kept our eyes busy and then you finally exit into this very large courtyard lined with the complex's buildings made of the same brick and then you're standing on even more stone i think it was like austerely impressive and then Off to the left is this grouping of trees that I thought were stunning. They were vertical, like their branches were vertical. It's not a tree that spreads out. They had the full foliage on mid-October. They were beautiful. And then you realize they are within this raised stone platform filled with water. It was very contemporary. Yes. Thrown in there. Right. So I have been to Parma before, but I never walked through the Complesso Monumentale di Pilota. And we were both just blown away. And let me add, I forgot this, that the entire perimeter of that courtyard on the facade of these brick buildings, there were blue neon letters mounted close to the top of the buildings. The letters were the exact same size and the spacing between them was exactly the same. So it made you stop and try to decipher it. Imagine 
almost three and a half large, long sides of these brick buildings. And these letters were spaced perfectly, no larger space between the words. So that's what made it hard to decipher. So we stood there and quickly realized it was in English and it was about time past, present and future. So once we figured that out and looked at the juxtaposition of this contemporary neon installation on the exterior of this old imposing building, we thought there's going to be a lot going on inside. So we'll return. You actually asked if I wanted to go inside the museum right then, but I think my expression said enough, right? (laughs) I'm a man. I was a man on a mission. The mission was ham, Parma ham. It's like people go to the Vatican. I know. I was at, I was at my church of ham. That's, well, you were about to be. Yes. Well, you were in the city of it, but I, I... I was within the walls. Exactly. Good point. Close enough to smell it. I was... Uh, I figured it out the second I looked at your expression. I'm like, okay, fine. We'll come back. <laughs> we'll come back tomorrow. How about tomorrow morning? It was true because we were in La Chita di Gastronomia. Do you guys recall that uh, phrase we shared about Bologna? The city where Italians go to eat? Well, Parma is the city of gastronomy, La Città di Gastronomia. And like so many other cities and villages and regions throughout Italy, they have protected all of these products and their processes with the DOP label, meaning that denomination of protected origin. So if you consider how beloved the prosciutto di Parma is around the world, You all need to know that it can take years for this dry cured ham to achieve what they decide is the perfect taste that is so coveted by ham lovers across the globe. So Tommaso and I had, well, he more than I, but we had done a bit of research beforehand as to which are the most esteemed slumarias. However, we had our list. We had like four of them. Yet you ran into every single little, small, mid-sized Salumaria we passed on the way to the top four. I was in the National Gallery of Ham. (laughs) You just go into every exhibit and you just want me, first of all, A, you just want to taste the food, but B, the presentation on every store. When you're just used to supermarkets and there aren't many these type of places around here, yes, it's a feast for your stomach, but it's a feast for your eyes. They just take so much pride in putting together a great presentation. Mm -hmm. And actually, to be honest, Tommaso prepared himself for this endeavor by right after we left the Complesso Monumentale di Pilota, you spied a coffee bar. We went in, you got an espresso, and I just looked up. I was like, Dio mio, look at the lights. They had their own version of chandeliers, like a round strip of metal and and the light in the middle and what was hanging from them dry salami that was probably 40 years old (laughs) dusty yeah but it was awesome i thought okay this city is fully into their their meats the other reason why i like going in to the different places is i like doing the math on the kilo and pound conversion because i don't (laughs) because when you sit there you think about it 30 euros per kilo and then you go back and think about what Parma ham costs here if you go to a good place to get it, like Whole Foods or up on up on um, in Providence. It's just people eat so well and you don't spend a fortune. 
Is that not expensive? That price was not expensive over there? No. Okay. I mean, not compared to what it is here. Correct. And it's not the same. No. That's for sure. Neither is the environment you're consuming it in. Exactly. When we finally made it to La Prosciutteria, we knew we were at the pinnacle of ham worship. It was like Danceteria from the, the name. I know, the right? Name. <laughs> the name was awesome. I was like, that's so funny. However, Tomasa, you looked like a kid in a candy store, so I just let him roam. Thank you for letting me have my and moments. And get his fill. However, La Prosciutteria is not that large inside. No. But there was so much, and I couldn't help but discreetly take a load of photos because there was, as I just mentioned, a small space, but so much in it. It was visually intense with all the ham legs hanging from the ceiling. Then the shelves were lined with glass jars of the most colorful canned peppers and onions and carrots and you name it, and all of their prepared food in the glass cases below looked amazing. Like I could have eaten everything. I could have just gone to lunch and dinner there every day for their prepared foods. I also think when you go there, it is small. It's not that big. You need to go in several times. The first time you go in and you're overwhelmed (laughs) and you do a recce and you're just like, Okay, what's where? All right, okay. And then you go in the second time, you think, what might I want to eat? And then you go outside and decompress for a second and then go back in and buy it because there's not a lot of room and they expect you to know what you want. Well, actually, we were about the only, I think we were the only foreigners in there at that time. Again, it was mid-October. It was like a Wednesday, mid-afternoon. We were the only one. So that were not Italian. So we knew it was the legit place. But let me just go back to what they sold in that small space. All types of salami, other kinds of meat and or just different versions and or cuts. Like there's prosciutto crudo, prosciutto cotto cooked, all kinds of different versions, I should say. I could just move into the apartment next door and never (laughs) have have to go anywhere. Live above and smell it all day. (laughs) They also sold a large variety of olive oil, wines, and then there was the aroma of fresh bread. It was so impressive. It was amazing. And the irony of all of this is I don't even eat meat and I was surrounded by it. You were just supporting me. I know. (laughs) Which is so good. Thank you. Well, we didn't buy anything that very first trip because we wanted to keep walking around the city and then go to dinner. And we knew we'd be back in the morning. We looked at the times of every single place. <laughs> there was that one on Corso Garibaldi or whatever. It's like seven o'clock. Oh, let's go here first. I'm like seven. Tomaso and I walked on just about every single little street. And we also went into shops that are called Frutti Vendolo, which sells fruits and vegetables. And they were idyllic as well, like Parma. Like Bologna, it's about the food and the presentation and every single vegetable or fruit in these shops were just placed in wooden boxes like the crates that, you know, you move them around in, but they weren't jammed in like 75 zucchini weren't jammed into the box like what they do here in Whole Foods. Because they only have enough that they're going to sell for that day. Exactly. And nothing was wrapped in plastic. It was so beautiful. Every single mushroom or eggplant, zucchini, 
They looked like they were just picked. They were colorful. It was just awesome. So I took so many photos. And then I just stood there at that one place with the little old bicycle out front with a wicker basket. I just wanted to live there and buy that food every day. I, I, right then I, and there. I'm with you. Okay. Can I interject for a second and a little take on the city's architecture? Because while we're walking around these back streets, all these residential streets, they reminded me of Nice, France. And yes. and sort of the palette was a lot like Copenhagen also. Yes. So it was very different from Bologna or, exactly. or something else. Yeah, Bologna is all red brick. Yeah. These residential areas of Parma were super colorful. Very yeah. good point. And on top of it, it was clean. That Centro Storico, spotless. They knew we were coming. Well... <laughs> It was it was very impressive. And I will say that after I was looking at all my pictures, and I think while we were there as well, walking, walking, walking nonstop, I realized there's no trees. There were basically no trees in the Centro Storico. Yeah, except for that, um, the uh, raised pavilion with the trees on it. Right. But maybe, I don't know, maybe it's their one small flaw, but I will say that all the buildings, based, this this is another difference from Bologna. Bologna is all over the place with height, all the towers and various yeah, different yes. you know, churches and libraries and the university buildings. Parma seemed to be all the same height. And in these kind of slow curved residential areas, all the buildings were exactly the same height. One might have a little roof line peeking up over the other, but basically the same height all very colorful. They're all abutted to each other. They There's a nonstop line of buildings and they just differentiate themselves from the color of their facade. Yet they all flowed from ochre to a green, even some like a pale pink and all the different colored shutters, the wood shutters. That's what I think looks so much like the south of France, mm. the colored shutters on the different colored facades. It was awesome. And guess what? These residential streets had the same cut stone in that arch design. And I think it just added to the beauty of everything. In the shopping areas where we were, meaning like the ham prosciutterias and stuff, they have the larger, uh, bigger rectangular stones in a linear pattern so that was different. Everything you noticed, maybe that's my main point here. There was a lot to notice visually and it was all design heavy and impressive. Very, very pretty. And to think about the effort they have to make to maintain those little square stone arched streets everywhere. It's really like a, it's a pride was really, really impressive. Yes. And don't forget also the streetlights, which were... Oh, yeah. The, the streetlights were sort of contemporary. They were mounted on the buildings above the entrances. And they looked old at first, but you looked at them... Like the design looked old. The design was old, but they had nice LEDs on a very... I don't know that they were LEDs. They looked like that Edison light. I remember? Think, I think they were LEDs. Okay. They certainly weren't quartz or Edisons, but they were a nice color temperature where you didn't have that, you know, you're in a parking lot effect. I mean, they were just really, really pleasant and well even lit across the street. You felt extremely safe right. walking through Parma. There were no 
I, what's different about these bulbs was there was no glass. So that bulb, whatever its source was, just was exposed and it made it made it look contemporary. Yeah. It was awesome. Funny we're picking out all these little things, but we noticed it. That's what I think was different about Parma. Mm-hmm. Special about it. Now, back to our little walking around. After we left yet another Salumaria, we noticed several very well-dressed couples, like three or four couples, and they were walking together. Two of them had dogs, and they were, they I don't know, they were walking down this very, very narrow street with only like one or two of those lights, so it was much darker, and we just thought, let's follow them, because we didn't have a place to be yet. We were just going to go to dinner. So as we're walking down this teeny little street, it looked like a film noir, right? Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yes, it was it was again the the Parma had this sort of wonderful in the dark moment every time we took a turn. It was like a movie scene. It was like a movie scene, right? Like you said, film noir, right? So that narrow street, as we're like you know lurking behind these people, <laughs> stalkers behind the good-looking Italians. And did we mention how well dressed everyone was? It looked like Milano. Mm-hmm. All the Italians were very well dressed in Parma as well. And that little narrow street ended in a larger piazza in front of a church and a very large bell tower, which I believe is the largest, tallest in the city. So I felt like it's divine intervention for my church fix. Tommaso had his share of going into all these salumarias, so I was like, I'm going in. So he hung out, and I went into the Chiesa di San Giovanni Evangelista. Everything has a mouthful of a name here in in Parma. Chiesa di San Giovanni Evangelista was started in 1490. And I walked in and immediately I was like, oh, yes, one of those really dark interiors that I sometimes really love, soaring ceilings. And the best part, those marble floors that are made from just three or four, three probably different colored marbles in that geometric shape of the elongated cube, which actually creates an optical illusion. Yes, who's that that architecture? Yes, I yeah, I'm thinking college. There was somebody that Escher. Escher. Escher, Escher. Yes. Yeah. We should have thought of that beforehand. But well, anyway. We only get notes. <laughs> <laughs> you could have read it. Don't get a script. Oh, for Pete's sake. Anyway, I love that pattern. And the entire floor of this church was covered in it. So I had a fantastic time in there. When I finally pulled myself away, we decided it was time for dinner in Parma. Yes. And I was sitting outside and that was a very calm, almost austere piazza. And one of the things I love to do when you go into the churches is just sit outside. And oftentimes it's not at night because the churches aren't open, but this was pretty late in the season, so the sun's down. And looking across that austere piazza, I could I could just I close my eyes and I hear Baroque music and I hear people's leather leather soles walking across and people in capes, and it just takes you back in time. So you have your church fix and I have my piazza fix. (laughs) Well, when I came out, there was no one in that church. No one, just me. There was no one outside either. I looked at my phone at the timing. It was 7.04 and no one was in there, seven at night. 
And when I walked out, there was only you on the other side of the piazza. And I I did the same thing. I just turned 360 and took it all in. Yep. It was stunning. Yep. There aren't many times you get to have that moment. Exactly. So let's finish here because our dinner was so fantastic. We could dedicate an entire episode to it. Well, it's okay because we had, I probably had the best prosciutto de palma I've ever had. And also a tiramisu that oh, I still oh, oh. that I still dream about. It was without a doubt the best tiramisu of the trip. Could be of your life, I'm not sure. We've been out to dinner. A few people have said, oh, we have tiramisu for dinner, uh, for, for dessert. You're like, nah. <laughs> I have a picture of it and it's not nearly as mind-blowing to look at it as it was to taste. Yes. But we'll share all of that next week when we have another episode on Parma. Va bene. Va bene. Grazie mille tutti. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.